of water. <coughs> we are in John chapter 5, as you will recall. And um, Jesus healing the paralytic man at the pool of Bethesda once again stirs up the wrath of the, uh, the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders. They ask the guy who healed him. He said, I don't know. And then he runs into Jesus in the temple, finds out who Jesus is, and then for whatever reason, he goes back and tells the Pharisees who healed him. That stirs them up all over again. That's where we pick it up in verse 16. I'm going to read verses 16 through 23, John chapter 5. For this reason, what we just talked about, the healing of the paralytic man on the Sabbath, remember? And so Jesus told the man, pick up your bed and walk. And rather than rejoicing with him that he had been healed, the Pharisees criticized him for, quote, breaking the Sabbath law by carrying his bed. So for this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making him equal with God. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the father do. For whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater works than these, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor. Honor, honor the Father who sent him. Let's pray. Lord, we just have a few moments left. We'll just be able to barely get into the beginning of this teaching. But we do pray for your Holy Spirit to be here. We thank you for the great video. We pray your continued blessings upon Jonathan Kahn, his congregation, his ministry, for all that you're doing through him. And now we ask you to speak to us from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we're told here that the reason the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him was because he had done these things, the healing. But no, notice it's plural. The, not just this one healing of this paralytic man at the pool of Bethesda, but the Gospels record miracles that Jesus performed on the Sabbath in addition to the case of this invalid's healing. Um, here in John chapter 5, 1 through 15, John later records the cure of a blind man on the Sabbath, chapter 9. Uh, the grain picking that we talked about last week where Jesus and his disciples are walking through a grain field on the Sabbath and they're rubbing the, the, the kernels in the palms of their hands so they have something to eat. That's from um, Mark 2, 23 through 28. Then there's the healing of a man with a shriveled hand, Mark 3, 1 through 5, also done on the Sabbath, curing a woman who had been crippled for 18 years, Luke 13, 10 through 17, 
and healing a man with dropsy, which is really edema. It's swelling. It's usually associated or connected with heart failure. He heals that man on the Sabbath in Luke 14, 1 through 6. And I believe we may have covered this verse last week, but I'll read it again. Mark 2, 27. He, Jesus, said to them, the Pharisees, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So in other words, God intended the Sabbath, which as you know, Shabbat, begins at sundown on Friday and ends at sundown on Saturday. So whereas Christians typically, traditionally gather on Sundays, the, the Jewish day was Saturday, the Sabbath, Shabbat. And God intended the Shabbat to be a day of rest, a blessing to his people, not a burden or a curse. <clears throat> to do good on the Sabbath, to heal someone or deliver someone from mental or emotional torment was totally within the heart of God, which tells us the Pharisees did not really have the heart of God. They had hardened legalistic hearts that put man-made rules and regulations above relationship with God and with one another. And there are cultish groups that would rather let their children die than get a blood transfusion. Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, Christian scientists, um, or any medical treatment for that matter. Now you've heard me say before, we should go to God when we have sickness, illness, uh, maybe sometimes that we're too quick to run to the medicine cabinet. But however, and I tell you, I've thanked God many times for living in this time period where I have access to medications that basically have kept me alive. God works in many different ways. One of the ways he works is through doctors and medicine. Are they perfect? No. Do they sometimes misdiagnose? Yes. Do they sometimes give you the wrong medication? Yes. But we should not do throw out the proverbial baby with the proverbial bathwater, right? God intended for the Shabbat, the Sabbath, to be a blessing, a day of rest. And we look at the, uh, um, the total suppression of women in Muslim countries. No school, no driving, only their eyes peeking through their little head coverings. And really the Pharisees were no different. Jesus accused them of, I know we talked about this last week, straining at a gnat and swallowing a camel. Jesus told the Pharisees, the Sabbath was made for man, not the other way around. And I think, sadly, this is one reason why so many people are turned off by what they believe to be Christianity. They see it as a suppressive, oppressive, heartless belief system. Have you ever encountered anybody with that attitude, with that belief? And we had our message a couple weeks ago, it took me two weeks to get through it, about our first love, continuing and returning in Revelation where Jesus challenges the church of Ephesus to return to their first love. And when we move away from the first love, as I talked about in that message, then we tend to gradually devolve into legalism, which is exactly what happened with the Jewish leaders in the time of Christ. And so then for them, the Sabbath was not made for man. Man was made for the Sabbath and they made it into a burden, an unbearable burden for the people so that even when something really good happened, like Jesus healing someone on the Sabbath, 
They couldn't rejoice over that. All they could do was criticize and complain and persecute Jesus for it. Verse 17, but Jesus answered them, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. And so what we know initially in creation in the book of Genesis, we're told that God created the heavens and the earth and the animals and mankind and all the plants, everything, in six days. And on the seventh day, he rested. And that's where we get the, the Sabbath or the Shabbat from. But since that time, God has been working continuously both for those who are his and against those who are not. And Jesus, as God's Son, works right alongside him. So while others may be resting on the Sabbath, God's work continues nonstop. Being co-equal with the Father, it was altogether appropriate for Jesus to do good works on the Sabbath. Let me read that verse again, verse 17. My Father has been working until now, and I have been working. God never rests. He never sleeps. And he's active. He's working nonstop on our behalf and against those who are against him. Verse 18, Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath in their opinion, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Jonathan Kahn mentioned in his video how the Jews have been expecting their Messiah for the last, at least the last 2,000 years, and the fact is they missed him, unfortunately. But the Jews' expectations regarding their coming Messiah at the time of Christ did not include the belief that he would be the literal son of God. That wasn't part of their theology, if you will. They were looking for the son of David, yes. Son of God, no. And when he proclaimed himself to be the son of God, they were extremely offended because they did not believe that God could or did have a son. Verse 19, Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of Himself, but what He sees the Father do. For whatever He does, the Son also does in like manner. The Son can do nothing of Himself. Nothing not approved of and directed by the Father. Even though we worship one God who manifests Himself through three personages, if you will. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There is an order, there is a there is a, a chain of command, if you will, in a way, where the Father directs the Son, the Son directs the Holy Spirit, and it never works in reverse. If that's confusing to you, I'm sorry. The good news is when you get to heaven, you can ask God to explain it. The Son can do nothing of himself. John 15, 5. I am the vine, you, my disciples, are the branches. He who abides in me, dwells in me, lives in me, who has relationship with me, he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Just as Jesus says, he can do nothing 
apart from the Father, he in turn tells us that we can do nothing apart from him. Now, we can do lots of things, but they're not necessarily good things, right? They're not things that necessarily have eternal purpose and meaning. Lots of people do lots of things, but when Jesus says you can do nothing apart from me, he means nothing of eternal value, nothing meaningful, nothing purposeful, nothing fruitful. Most, if not all, of what we do apart from God is just a work of the flesh that will have no eternal significance. Apart from me, you can do nothing without me. And then Philippians 4.13 is the other side of that coin. I may have shared this before. I'm sure I have. Philippians 4.13 is my life verse. I don't know if you have a life verse, but God gave me this life verse years ago. And it's kind of cool to have a life verse, one that just really focuses in on who you are and what you're called to do in Christ. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So I like to say, you know, this is like two sides of a coin that I like to carry around in my pocket. On one side, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. On the other side, without him, I can do nothing. Apart from him, I can do nothing. I can do all things in Christ. Without him, I can do nothing. And that's basically what Jesus is telling the Pharisees. Hey, guys, if you're mad at me, then you're mad at my father, too, because everything I do comes from him. The son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the father do. And so, though equal with the father, Jesus took and still takes his cues from the father. If that's the case, how much more should you and I take our cues from the father and from his son, Jesus? For whatever he does, the son also does in like manner, because the father and the son are one God in three persons, father, son, Holy Spirit, their every movement is synchronized. They're in lockstep with one another. John 14, 8 through 10. Philip, one of the disciples, as you know, said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Verse 20 of John 5. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater works than these, that you, Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, that you may marvel. There's no ambiguity here, folks. The Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does. Jesus is clearly stating throughout this passage that he is God's Son and the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is his Abba, Father, but Abba's more intimate. It's more like Daddy. Very intimate. Jesus and the Father. This Father-Son relationship. And Jesus is making no bones about it. Even though he knows these guys are infuriated by it. 
He will show him greater works than these. The Father will show Jesus greater works. Raising the dead, casting out demons, most assuredly his own resurrection. That was yet to happen. And that would definitely be a greater work. And why? That you may marvel, that you may wonder or be amazed, Jesus tells them. And here's the sad part. And the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, they were privy to many of the miracles that Jesus performed. And though one may marvel or be amazed at the works of God, that doesn't always lead to a saving faith, does it? The Pharisees are a prime example. And I, I think I mentioned this last week as well, that it's sad how many times I've not seen people be blessed by God to experience miraculous things take place in their lives only just to walk away and do their own thing and ignore God. So even though the Pharisees would be forced to be amazed, to marvel at the works of Christ, they still rejected him. Again, we think of Moses and Pharaoh. No amount of signs and wonders can shatter the hardened heart that does not want to be shattered. In order to come to God, we must be brokenhearted, broken by the recognition of our own failings, our own shortcomings, our own sins. Psalms 51.17, King David writing here, The sacrifices of God... And again, David lived under the Old Testament sacrificial system. And yet he recognized ultimately it was not the blood of bulls and goats that God was after that pleased him. David says the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. And that's where we'll stop today. Let's stand. We'll pick it up next week. In verse 21, if you want to read ahead. Been an action-packed morning. As we go to the Lord in prayer, please raise your hand if you have a prayer request today. The Lord sees your hand. Father, there's a lot of them today, and that's okay because you love to hear from your people. It makes you sad, Lord, when we don't take time out to talk to you, to reach out to you. So I thank you for each one that's raised their hand, whether it would be for themselves or for someone else that they're concerned about. We lift all these requests up to you, Father, for those that involve health issues, sickness, disease, injury. Lord, we're so thankful that nothing is too difficult for you. With you, all things are possible. With you, nothing is impossible. And so I pray right now that you would infuse these here today with hope, with faith, to believe in you, to trust you for healing. Lord, we don't always know your will. But we submit to your will and at the same time humbly ask for healing of our bodies so that we will have the strength, the energy, the vitality to be able to serve you, to serve our brothers and sisters in Christ, to serve our families and our community. So Lord, we lift up every manner of illness, injury, disease, affliction, and we ask that you would bring healing to our physical bodies. Lord, we know these bodies won't last forever, but in the meantime, we pray that you keep them functioning 
so that we can serve you as long as we're here on this planet. Lord, I pray for encouragement, for comfort, for peace for those who are struggling right now, whether it be physical illness or mental and emotional distress. We lift up those things as well, Lord, anxiety, depression, all the other things that can plague us and drag us down. We ask that you guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, that you would put a hedge of protection around each one, that the enemy might not be able to penetrate our hearts and minds, and that you would deliver those here today or those they are standing in the, in the gap for from all manner of mental and emotional issues. Lord, for uh, relationships, especially marriages, but also friendships, family relationships, neighborhood, workplace, wherever it might be, Lord, wherever there might be turmoil or division or strife, we pray for healing and restoration of those relationships and that you would give us the ability to be peacemakers, to be those who initiate reconciliation and restoration. And Lord, again, where it might seem hopeless, we thank you that nothing is impossible with you. And we pray that those relationships could be healed and restored. And Lord, as much as it lies within us, help us to be at peace with all men. And finally, we do pray for economic issues, Lord. Uh, someone here today may be troubled with their current financial situation. Again, we pray for comfort, for peace, for encouragement, for strength, and for provision, and for wisdom, Lord. We thank you that you have given us the ability to think, to reason, to be rational, to be logical. And we ask you to give us supernatural wisdom that you also promised to us that we might be able to navigate financially difficult waters and always put our hope and trust in you as our provider. We thank you, Lord, that you promised not to leave us or forsake us or let us go hungry. Lord, we know that there are many in the world that are going hungry. We pray for them, but we pray that you would guide us and direct us, help us to be wise stewards over the resources you've given us and where we fall short, that you would be come in like a flood and make provision, and we'll be quick to give you the glory and the praise. We thank you now. We ask you to receive our final offering of praise here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>